From Vancouver, Canada to the masses. From Vancouver, Canada to the masses. The Wonder Brand Show, hosted by Jeremy Brand, will bring you the best in pop culture. Boom! Ladies and gentlemen, we've hit the quarter century mark. Episode 25. Joining the show today, I'm joined by a man I've known for quite some time. A few years now, at least. Uh, Probably about 10, maybe, I'd say. Uh, this guy is known in the mixed martial arts industry. He's an announcer. Uh, we've uh, He's also in the video game scene. His name is Ryan Ventura, and I'm glad to have him on the show for episode 25. Ryan, thanks for joining me today, man. Well, I'm, I'm glad to be on the show. Well, as I said, mixed martial arts, you, you've been in the scene for a long time. You've got the whole retro video game thing going on, but I, I want to go back. Uh like I do with all of my guests, I want to get to know them a little bit more, uh, what they had going on uh, before they got into this whole industry and, and this kind of scene of things. So growing up, I mean, what were your passions growing up, man? I know you're a hockey fan. So so what was life like for you uh, growing up in, in British Columbia? Well, um, you know, that's actually interesting that you asked me that. Like a lot of the stuff that, um, can you hear me okay? I hear you just fine, man. Yeah. Okay, just making sure the headset's all right. So, uh, you know, growing up as a kid, you know, I've always had a very keen interest on uh, video games, uh, martial arts. Uh, like, you know, I've, I've been a lifelong martial arts fan. Like, partic- like, when I was young, my grandpa got me into, like, you know, watching the movies and stuff. So, like, Bloodsport and Enter the Dragon, uh, you know, anything with martial arts in it, we watched it. Uh, he watched a lot of boxing growing up. So, you know, I grew up watching, uh, you know, Tyson and... Holyfield and Roy Jones Jr. as a kid. And um, yeah, man, like a lot of my interests that I had uh, when I was six years old are still the same now as a 32-year-old adult man. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And and you grew up uh, in Vancouver, correct? Yeah, I actually, well, um, you know, I didn't have like the easiest childhood growing up. I mean, uh, I grew up, I was born in Surrey, but I lived all over the place because my parents, uh, they split up when I was only eight. So I lived in Surrey, Delta, Burnaby, New West. I lived in Kitsilano, East Van, Coquitlam, back to Surrey. And, uh, you know, now that my, like, I've been dating my, the same girl now for almost six years. Uh, you know, she's lived in East Van for a long time. So I've spent a lot of time there. So in many ways, I'm back in East Van. That's awesome. And and so we're in a weird time as, mm-hmm. uh, as, Everyone knows COVID-19 has struck and hit hard, but luckily we've been pretty damn good here in BC. Um, what What's life been like for you over the past few months? Have you been working? Were you laid off? Uh, just talk about your experience over the last few months with COVID-19. Oh, wow. So that's actually very interesting that you would ask me that, man. Um, you know, during the whole pandemic, it was kind of a, I don't know, there was some sort of switch that hit me. As soon, like I remember distinctly, uh, my actual full-time job, I, I work at a law office, and that, I've been doing that for a while now. So, you know, I'm, I'm like, uh, we're not going too much into too much detail about my actual full-time job. Like, you know, I work at a law office. I'm like the assistant of an assistant. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and um, I remember distinctly just being in the lunchroom, like looking at the big TV. And this is when, uh, this is when um, the prime minister, Justin Trudeau, was doing his uh, state of emergency address. And, you know, all of us were in there, like all the different assistants, lawyers, you name it. We're all in that same lunchroom. We're just looking at the TV. We're like, 
what are we going to do now? Like, you know, the whole place is, the whole place is shutting down. And I distinctly remember lots of, uh, lots of people like were given the option to work remotely and everything, but my department, um, we have to like be on site because of, um, because of the job that we're doing, like, uh, you know, so there's certain kinds of information from the office that can't leave the office. Yeah. So like, um, we have to say, for example, like a lawyer or an assistant or something requests certain kinds of information. It's my job and the job of the other person in my department to retrieve that information, scan it, encrypt it and send it to them. Right. Because they can't take that physical information with them. Right. To their house. Makes sense. Yeah. So, um, like, you know, something just hit me that day where I'm like, okay, you know what? I feel like the actual zombie apocalypse is upon us. If my work is shutting down, um, the dojo that I train at is shutting down, the gyms are shutting down, restaurants, everything, you name it, is shutting down. I feel like I just have to be ready for whatever. So I've just been on this crazy um, fitness craze. Like, I mean, like, you know, I've been taking my health and fitness a lot more seriously these last few years, but it was just the pandemic that clicked the switch in me where I was told in my mind that, you know, I have to be ready for whatever may come. And, you know, in case some, something bad really happens, I need to be the best shape of my life. So, so I'm, I've been like, you know, focusing on that. <laughs> <laughs> That's great though, man, because as you said, you know, the dojo shut down, you train at FKP, Franco Pancration, as, as uh, I'm sure if people follow you, they see that on social media. Um, you you said you followed martial arts your whole life. We'll we'll get into that aspect of things later on because I still want to talk about your your ebbs and flows and whatnot. So sure. with with COVID, you said you know you still weren't sure about how things were going to go. You're focusing on you know if there was a zombie apocalypse, you you'd be ready for it. Um, yeah. So how how did you how were you able to move through things and and be able to to work and stuff and and were you isolated at home? Uh, did you have to, you know, social distance as much as everybody else? What was the deal with that? So, um, at my actual full-time job, we've, we have a very unique working situation. So, um, me and my, me and the other guy in my department, we already work from a distance to begin with. We're more than six feet away from each other. We have our own department section. So we're not like anywhere, like physically close to each other at all times. So, you know, socially distancing at the office wasn't very difficult. Um, of course, like, you know, during the commute, you do the best that you can. And, you know, when you go to the market and things like that. But, um, you know, honestly, outside of the different gigs that I had, uh, you know, for, for many years, I, for a part-time job, I've worked in the Vancouver nightlife scene. So, you know, I was promoting uh, a lot of big uh, DJ shows and, and raves and dance music events and things like that. And obviously that's gone for, for the time being. And then obviously, like all the fight bookings that I had, um, they're gone too. Uh, until, you know, I'm told otherwise. So right now I'm living solely off uh, my full-time job. And, you know, at the moment, my new venture that me and my uh, friends partnered up with and came up with, um, you know, that's not going to pay itself uh, for a while, especially during the pandemic. Right now we're just uh, looking to pay our bills, right? Fair enough, man. Fair enough. Well, you hit the nail on the head with a few things I want to ask you about there. So let's start with the nightlife, uh, promoting music and, and the DJ scene, if that's what you want to call it, raves and, yeah. and whatnot. Uh, how did that come about? How did you get into that? And obviously you said everything that you have a piece of the pie of right now was stuff that you grew up with uh, through your, your childhood and your upbringing. So talk about how that progression came about and, and the nightlife and, and you know, promoting the music scene. 
Oh, it's actually kind of interesting because um, growing up, uh, I was like, I've, I've liked all kinds of different music uh, growing up. So I wasn't like married to a style. Like, you know, I grew up on hip hop. I grew up on dance music. I grew up on classic rock, uh, R&B. You know, I've, I've always been pretty open to different kinds of music. Yeah. Um, in fact, uh, you know, my start in the nightlife scene actually started when I was only 16, 17 years old, when I myself uh, was a was an aspiring rapper. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like I, I you know, I, that's actually actually, you know, a lot of the stuff, um, you know, the mic skills and things like that as a ring announcer that came from being comfortable as a as a hip hop MC and like, you know, hyping up crowds and stuff at club events uh, when I was 16, 17 years old. Um, in order to give myself and my friends like an opportunity to be able to have like a platform to perform because, you know, you're underage and, you know, you're not able to go to clubs and bars yet. We used to pull our money together and uh, promote and book our own house, like hall parties. So we'd rent a hall and we'd sell tickets for like uh, 15, 20 bucks a pop. And, you know, we'd have like our friend DJ and we'd have uh, other people perform and things like that. So that was kind of like my venture into it. And, you know, being involved in the hip hop scene, for many years, I was, um, you know, I was promoting different events and, you know, performing myself as a rapper at the time. And then, you know, as I got older, so, oh, sorry. Good. Oh, good. So, did you sit there? Okay, we're good. Okay. Um, as I got older and, you know, I kind of got burnt out from the hip hop thing at the time. I was uh, going through a really rough breakup uh, with a longtime girlfriend that I was seeing at the time. And, you know, I kind of, I kind of like got, um, so where I got burnt out from being in the scene and, you know, being with the music, because at the time I would associate the scene and the music with my ex-girlfriend. Yeah. So I went, I went a complete 180. Like my, um, a really good friend of mine, he went to raves for many years. And, um, I didn't think that I would enjoy going to those events because, you know, I, I've, I've liked the music for many years, but I didn't think I would enjoy it because I thought, Oh, you gotta be like on drugs or you got to be messed yeah, up to like yeah. appreciate the event and everything. Cause there's a sort of stigma that comes with it. I went to my first event in, um, 2014. It was solid New Year's Eve. No, sorry. It was the end of 2013 going to 2014. So it was New Year's Eve. So it was solid New Year's Eve, 2014. I went to my first event. It was, uh, Hardwell, Firebeats and Danik. They were like really big DJs. And, um, I went to that event and it was literally like, one of the greatest times I've ever had in my life. And the next thing you know, I found myself like hooked <laughs> to go into these events. So like I ended up going to these events every weekend. I got to know different people in the scene. They get me, uh, you know, guest lists and things like that. And the next thing you know, like I, I'm starting to promote and sell tickets to these events. And then I eventually work my way to the point where I'm become one of the managers and of like the promotion and, you know, doing the social media marketing and then being the green room attendant, basically my job would be to, uh, you know, take care of the act while they're in town. Yeah. And like, you know, basically kind of like be a, be, I wouldn't, I guess you could, as you could say be a babysitter to them <laughs> when they're in town, you know? So like, yeah, I made sure like a lot of the top guys had like everything that they needed and all that kind of stuff. Have you, do you have any funny, do you have a funny story about any of those green room incidents? <laughs> there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of stuff I can't even I can't even mention on here, man. <laughs> but there's got to be there's okay. I, I won't m ask you to mention names, but there's got to be a funny thing that someone's asked for in oh, that green room. Oh, okay, okay, it's not even something that someone asked for. So this was um, I don't want to mention the guy's name, but this was actually not an EDM event. It was a rap show. It was a hip hop show. Okay. So like I was like the green room attendant for this particular show, 
and this like I'll, I'll probably tell you after you might know who he is actually okay <laughs> so like um i'm in the i'm like i was told to like take care of like these uh these three girls they were like his guest to like at the show right yeah. I, was, I was told like okay you know they can have they can drink whatever they want and hang on the green room and make themselves comfortable all that kind of stuff right and uh i remember meeting this uh this the talents um tour manager so me and her, we were talking in the green room and everything like that. And like, I didn't even realize at the time, but the, the bathroom in the green room was like locked. Like the door was closed. It was locked. There's clearly people in it. Right. And like being the manager are talking she's like, all right, could you hold on a sec? I got to use the bathroom. And she's like, trying to open the door to the bathroom and like, it's locked. And she's like, is someone in there? I'm like, I don't know. I don't recall anyone being in there. <laughs> She's like, there's no one supposed to be, there's no one allowed in the green room and there's no one allowed in the bathroom right now. Who the heck is in there? So she starts banging in the door. Hey, who the heck's in the in the green room? Who, I mean, sorry, who the heck's in the bathroom right now? Uh, the door opens. The three girls that I brought with me, they had like a fruit and cheese platter and like a bottle of champagne. They're all like sitting cross-legged around the <laughs> toilet. They're eating like the cheese and the crackers and fruits. Oh my! Drinking the champagne. None of this stuff. You're not a, like one of the things about the green room. The number one thing, if you're told to like provide, uh, you know, things like food and champagne and all that kind of yeah. stuff, it's not yours. It's not the. It's not the people that go in there. It's not theirs either. It's the artist. The first person that should be opening it and touching it is them, right? <laughs> and they didn't ask for permission. These girls were all in there and like. There was like a big scene. She kicked out the three girls and I got in trouble because I was told, Hey, why weren't you doing your job? Why of weren't course. you like, why weren't you like paying attention to these girls? I'm like, I didn't think they would hang out in the bathroom and eat cheese and drink champagne. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. So, so moving from that, uh, I said, obviously my bread and butter and my, uh, industry, the mixed martial arts scene, uh, this show is not about that, but you are a part of that scene and, and you're a ring announcer. And I think you got started with kickboxing, correct? Uh, no, actually, I got my start in MMA. Oh, actually, yeah, actually um, at uh, what's Quest, it called? For Glory. Quest for Glory. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So you started in MMA and Quest for Glory was the first show that you just mentioned. How did that all come about? Like, obviously, I, again, you were in... Uh, a mixed martial arts fan or a martial arts fan growing up and you just so happened to get into the game. Oh, did you, um, at the MMA expo in 2011, did MMA Saka have a booth? We did have a booth. Yes, we were oh. actually, it wasn't even MMA Saka. It was fat lip radio. So myself, Ed Garcia, Trevor Duick, and, uh, Damon Holacek had a, had a radio show on CKNW and MMA yeah, Saka, yeah. MMA Saka was part of it. So we, like it was our radio show on the website, but we hosted it on CKNW and we had a booth there. Yeah, that was pretty cool. So yes, we did. <laughs> well, I think that was the first. That was actually the first time I met you in person. Man, um, ages was, ago. Was, I like my memory is relatively sharp about that day. Like, um, so as you know, one of the many jobs that I had growing up, I used to write for LowKick.com. Yep. Right, and um, they gave me, they somehow got me credentials to go to uh, the UFC event. But it was like, it was weird because it was like limited credentials because like I wasn't allowed to like um, you know, go to like press conference and interview people at the arena. So instead, like they gave me like um, they they gave me like uh, I wouldn't. It's like super close to the octagon. I sat okay. there. Yeah. 
And um, they also gave me like a free pass to the MMA Expo. And I, if you remember, like there's lots of people there. There's like Brendan Schaub. Um, yeah, I think Sam Stout was there. I know Shoni Carter was there, making oh people yeah, making, ma- was making there, people yeah. pay for uh, making people pay for autographs <laughs> and pictures. Yeah, I remember that very well. So that day, I remember um, distinctly, like you know, just fanning it up. Like even though like I was giving like a free ticket to go like talk to fighters and all that kind of stuff, like I, you know, I was fan, I was being a fanboy. Yeah, like they weren't they weren't paying me like a whole lot of money, so like. And it wasn't like full on credentials. So it's like, all right, you know, I'm just going to make a day out of it. Right. And um, I remember, you know, going there. Yeah. I met you that day and, you know, I took pictures of Brendan Schaub and Vladimir Matnyshenko. And I remember seeing a guy posting flyers for quest for glory. Yeah. Um, and, um, I went up to him. His name is Ben Medi. He yep. was, uh, one of the guys that was promoting that event and I said, uh, hey, man, like, you know, I see you're posting all these flyers for the event. Um, would you ever consider like. Uh... Sorry, you won't believe what just happened to me right now. So I, as I was saying this sentence. A little fly flew into my mouth as I was I was as I was taking as I was taking a sip of the whiskey that I'm drinking. So like. I literally swallowed a fly. It almost did. Was... They almost didn't want you to tell the story. I know. <laughs> so anyways, I, I bump into Ben and I'm like, hey, Ben, like, uh, do you have like a, a ring announcer for your event yet? Because I've never done it before, but I've been a lifelong fight fan. And, you know, I do hip hop shows and club events and things like that. I like to try this ring announcing stuff like at least once. Yeah. Uh, you know, could I could I try? And he said, well, I already hired a guy to introduce the fighters. But, um, you know, here's some free tickets, uh, you know, bring whoever you want and, uh, you know, we'll, uh, you know, just go there, enjoy the show. Right. And I remember um, the funny thing about that night, too, after because it was the same day as that UFC card, Dos Santos versus Carwin. Um, I actually I actually had a gig after um, the host uh, Shane Carwin's after party. Oh, nice. Right. And uh, there's a few cool guys that came out. Actually, there was Dustin Poirier. Um, the executioner. Yeah. Remember his name. Joey Beltran. Yeah. Joey Beltran was there. So, and like, yeah, Dustin Poirier was pretty, was there and it was pretty cool. But uh, Shane Carwin didn't show up because he got banged up by Junior DeSantos that night. But anyways, um, the next week they had the quest for glory card and something in me like just said, Hey man, like in my mind, like something said to me, just pack like a dress shirt. Like, you know, cause I don't know, something in me just said the pack a dress shirt. So I packed a dress shirt with me when I went out that night and you, you were doing commentary with Darcy McBride, weren't you that day? Uh, Or was it him and Micah Brakefield? Yeah, it was him and Micah, I believe. Yes. Okay. So I went to the show I had, and like Ben and, um, Sammy Piccolo, the other, um, the other promoter for quest for glory, they hooked me up with really nice seats. So like, I was like ringside and it was the first time I've ever been to like a local event in person. And I remember the announcer that they had, like, I don't know how sharp your memory is with the announcer from that event, but he wasn't very good. He was a really nice, he was a really nice guy. And from what I understood, like he did, um, voiceovers for like documentaries and things like that, but 
he wasn't like the ring announcer type guy. So a few fights in the card, Ben comes up to me. He's like, hey, Ryan, <laughs> do you want to try to do this guy's <laughs> job? Because he's not doing a very good job. I will pay you. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, you're in luck. I just packed a dress shirt. So I went to the bathroom. I put on this dress shirt. And I didn't know any of the fighters at the time. And this was before the BC Athletic Commission. Yeah. So they had like a voluntary... Um, BC MMA or something like that, I think. That's right. That's right. They had like a voluntary group of guys do it. And yeah, I I literally learned everything on the spot. Like I learned the fighters' names as they're walking out because I'd go up to the court and be like, hey, what's his name? Right? <laughs> and I would... And like if the fight went to a decision, I this was since... This was before the commission. I went up to every judge... And I took their scorecard. Oh man! And I had and I had to do the math on a post-it note <laughs> and read it out. <laughs> man, it was, it was so bad. Like I mean, I did my best, and I remember like during the intermission, they had Cajun Johnson perform like his rap song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man, that was that was crazy. But the the best part was at the end of the night. I'm like, oh man, like I don't think I did that great. I don't think they're gonna. I don't think I'm gonna have another opportunity to eat this. And at the time, I just I was just messing around. I For just sure, fun, right? And it was a good and it was cool because like I got a ticket to the fights and I got tickets for my younger brother, and my cousin, and then Ben, Sammy, and Nadine, uh, the other pro- the other promoter of the promotion, came up to me like, "Hey man, you're really good. People really liked you." you want to come to our next show? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, of course. And they gave me the check and I looked at them like, you guys are going to pay me to do this. They're like, yeah. I was like, all right, cool. And then the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's hilarious. So obviously that night was like full of memories because it was the first uh, of your many fights that you've announced. What's one yeah. fight that sticks out to you that you remember calling? Oh man. Shoot, there's just so many. I feel like um, after 2017, when I really took my health and my appearance and my well-being like more seriously, that's when I started to become like, you know, in my mind, like a, an elite announcer. You know what I mean? Because not only did I look the part, I, you know, was so confident in my abilities. Like it got to the point where later on in my ring announcing career, I, I barely practiced. I just, you know, I, I looked at someone's name like a few times and I said it to myself to make sure I don't, you know, stumble upon it uh, during the actual announcement. And every like introduction that I've done since has just come supernatural. I barely practice these days just because I want it to be organic. Right. For sure. You can totally tell when someone's reading off of a script and when they're, you know, in the zone. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, and I hope I conveyed that very well. For sure, and that's like with anything, like me talking to you right now, I'm literally just like laying here in bed shooting the shit with you. I have zero <laughs> qu- zero questions thought up, zero questions in my head at all. I'm literally just shooting the shit with you because I feel like having an organic conversation with you is much better than me reading off of a script of you know, 10, 15 questions. Absolutely, and I really appreciate that. Um, I guess um, the one... I don't, does it have to be one fight or can it be like an event? It can be an event for sure. I would say there, there's two things that stand out in my mind. I think the first, like the first thing that stands out of my mind and I, and I have to like, you know, mention it because it's, it's super important to me and I wouldn't be where I am without it. It was the first battlefield fight league event that I did. And that was uh, Dwyer versus Carter 
in uh, January of 2014. I don't remember the number event. It might be BFL 27. But um, to me, that like really stands out because that was like the first professional fights I've ever done. This was when um, BC just uh, started sanctioning professional MMA. Yeah. And also, it really stands out to me, not just because it's my first BFL and my first pro fights, but also because I grew up watching Sony Carter. For sure. So so to like, you know, introduce him, I remember being 13 years old watching uh, TSN and they would show replays of him and Matt Serra fighting. So for me to stand across the cage from him and introduce Mr. International. Now, it's not the same Mr. International from 2001. No. <laughs> but to be able to. But to be able to say that I've done it, that was just a complete mind-blowing experience for me. And like I, uh, I, I was, you know, to this day, I still think about that. I'm like, holy smokes, like I did that. And then the second one that really stands out, um, I got to give a big shout to the Fight Night promotion based out in Alberta. Um, they brought me to Las Vegas in September, yeah. and uh, in, se- in September 2018, I became. I became the youngest announcer to be licensed by that by the Nevada State Athletic Commission and one of the very few Canadians to do it. Wow, that's so, amazing, man. So like, you know, to be able to have done that at 30 years old, that was like, you know, I don't know when I'm going to ever do another fight again, but just to be able to say that I've, you know, worked in the biggest, uh, you know, the fight capital of the world, that says a lot about what I've done over the years. 100%. And your game, I mean, I've watched you from the get-go. And and I will say your game has grown completely. So to be able to say that you've done a show in Vegas, you've introduced Mr. International Shoney Carter, like it, it says something to your name that you've been able to bring it the way you have. Thank you, brother. I really appreciate that. And I mean, the cool thing is too, like even like with all the different, you know, ex-UFCers, um, guys that have moved on to the UFC, um, no matter how many times I've done it, it can be, it can be like a small, it can be the Fraser View Hall. Yeah. It can be the, it can be the Orleans Arena in Las Vegas. It can be, just trying to think of all the different places that I've, I've worked at. Um, shoot, there's this one in Portland that I worked at for Prime Fighting. Man, that was a good experience too. Just to say that I've been able to do that kind of stuff, like you know, if if one day again. If my ring announcing career fully done, I never asked to work a fight again. I can say I've done a lot more than a lot of other guys. <laughs> For sure. It's it's like a pinch yourself kind of moment, man. Yeah. <laughs> so moving away from MMA then, uh, another thing that you did growing up, play video games, like you said. Retro gaming is something that is a passion of yours. Not just retro gaming, but like regular video games as itself. But yeah. you created this whole new community uh, Vancouver retro gaming community, man. And and that came about just a little while ago, a couple years ago, I guess. And you've yeah. partnered, you've partnered with a, a large sports, esports, and entertainment company called alpha North. I mean, you've blown shit up with this retro gaming thing locally. Uh, I want to hear how the whole thing started. Like what was the thought process? It wasn't just you, right? You had, you had a few buddies, yeah. a few buddies that helped you out. And then obviously yeah. NHL 94 was like the hub of it. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. You're going to, you're going to like this story too, actually. So, <laughs> um, the night before, okay. So the King of 94 happened two years ago. So for those that don't know, the King of 94 is the NHL 94 world championship. So you have guys from as far as like Finland, like fly to wherever this thing is because they want to show and prove 
look like you know physically that like like against each other that they're the best NHL 94 player in the entire world. So it was Vancouver's turn to host the King in 94 because I believe it was the 20th anniversary. I think it was the 20th. Anyways, it was like the, no, no, sorry. It was the 25th anniversary of NHL 94. And uh, they wanted to do it in the home of where NHL 94 was born, which is Vancouver, because, you know, as many of you guys know, the Electronic Arts uh, Studios is based out in Burnaby. Yeah. Right. So they wanted to do it in Vancouver. And um, the night before the King 94, I was um, working, uh, I was working a rave event, uh, Dooms Night, which is solid events, like big yearly Halloween rave, right? So I, I didn't get home, I remember, till like 5.30 in the morning after working. And like the NHL 94 tournament started at 10 a.m. But something in me said to like, you know, get three hours of sleep, wash your face, go to the <laughs> tournament. And I did. Right. And I went to this tournament and like, you know, I came out of it like meeting like a group of friends and band of brothers that I never thought I'd ever meet because you have all these guys that come from all over the world just to play this really old hockey game. And then you have like the other locals like, you know, from Surrey, Delta, Burnaby that are all, you know, base that are all passionate about this game. And I met like uh, two guys that really stand out and they're my partners in the VCRGC, my uh, friends, Francis saying. Uh, Wasim Khalil, like they're really passionate hockey fans, but they're really big retro gamers too. And I remember like, you know, the experience that I had at the King of 94, although I didn't make it deep in the tournament because when you play against the best guys in the world, it really shows you, um, you know, where you stand with those guys. You know what I mean? For like sure. you think, you think you're the best with your boys, wait till you play against the best in the world. And then <laughs> I, I remember like just coming out of it. I'm like, man, I want to have this feeling like all the time. Um, I started telling like all the guys like at the tournament, I'm like, yo, I'm going to, I'm going to make my own tournament here in Vancouver and I'm going to make it big, as big as the King of 94, maybe bigger. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous shit because like, oh, sorry. Oh no, yeah. I swear all you want, man. Thank Fuck you. this shit, <laughs> asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I remember telling all these guys and like, you know, I'm like the youngin, like, out of all these guys, because a lot of these guys are in their mid thirties, okay, yeah, thirties, right? And I'm in my early thirties, and I'm telling them all this. I remember like going home like that same day, like all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come up with my own, I'm gonna come up with my own group. Let's start a Facebook group. Let's start an Instagram group. So you'll notice the group, the VCRGC, VCRGC. It stands for. It originally standed for Vancouver Competitive Retro Gaming Club because I initially just wanted to do tournaments. Yeah, but. At, over time, when I started hosting these meetups and stuff, I realized that a lot of these people weren't really into tournaments. They just wanted something social. They just wanted a, an alternative to the normal nightlife, uh, you know, because the way Vancouver nightlife is, for those that don't know, there's two, um, there's two ways to do it. It's either you're a guy that goes to the bar or you're a guy that goes to the club, right? Yeah, for so, sure. 100%. So, so there's two different things, but there's no like in the middle and in the middle, everyone likes video games. So I changed the name from Vancouver Competitive Retro Game Club to Vancouver Community Retro Game Club because I felt like it was more inclusive and more welcoming. And if you notice too, if you take away the, the VCR from VCRGC, you put it backwards. I mean, you put it, you like reverse the letters, it's RCV, which is my initial. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> 
That's wild. I, I know my buddy uh, and and photographer at MMA Sucka before you know before childbirthing, uh, Nelson Yo actually came out to a few of your events and and he said oh, that they were a blast. Yeah, dude, you need to come out to one of these sometime. Like Nelson, like oh man, I there's like so many like different. Nelson's an amazing guy, but there's so many like sides that I didn't see to him before. Oh man, I've known him since kindergarten, man. <laughs> okay, so you know all the sides. So like I uh. Like, you know, you give him a few shots and he wants to stay all night. Oh. His wife has to like call to like tell him to come home. <laughs> <laughs> hilarious, hilarious. Now your events are not just, uh, they, they've grown as, as we've said here. Uh, it's yeah. not, it's not the, you know, what you said was it's not competitive anymore as much as it was in the past, but you've got this place called game quarters. Now, uh, tell me about that a little bit because that's pretty new. Oh, and, yeah. and as you said in, in one of these things in, in your latest post for the N64 thing that you got going on, it's hidden on commercial drive. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that's part of the appeal. So Francis and Wasim and I, uh, we, We've always toyed with the idea of having our own venue. But to be honest with you, Game Quarters, it really started out is just wanting our own communal man cave. Because, you know, um, many of, like, for Francis, he has a he has a kid, and he has another kid coming up soon. What uh, Wasim has his own place, but it's not, like, huge. And my place is nice, but, like, you know, we can't... It's one of those things where we wanted a place to bring, like, our followers, but it's not, like, you know, you, you can't just have like 60 people at your house randomly. You yeah. Know what I mean, of course. So, well, you we, could, but you might, you know, some other yeah. people at the house might not like it. <laughs> oh, for sure. Like I've, you know, I'm Filipino man. So like our exactly. still a while. Karaoke and, machine. And <laughs> yeah, it's, exactly. And like, there, there's been some times when the police would be called because of noise, but we're not causing trouble. Yeah. But game quarters initially started out as a, as an idea for communal man cave. And we're just randomly looking on Craigslist one day and we found like a really good location on commercial drive, like a five minute walk away from the SkyTrain station. And then the next thing you know, like Francis messages me, he's like, Hey, I signed it. I'm like, you signed what? He's like, I signed the lease for it. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you signed a lease during the pandemic? Right? Like this is the dumbest idea ever. And then, you know, we just pooled our funds and resources together to make it happen. And, you know, we, um, we follow everything by the book, man. Like, uh, you know, we, we're not taking any, like, we're not like taking anything lightly. You know, we, we give all of our guests masks. We make sure we sanitize their hands before they come in. Uh, you know, we encourage social distancing as much as we possibly can. Like, let's be real. Like you can't like tell everyone like constantly, Hey, stand there. Bro, I work for the school board and, and I was back to work for the month of June. You're telling me social distancing, telling people to social distance is the toughest thing in the world where you're in a confined space. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, here's the thing. Now, because it's the, the thing about the place being hidden. So in order to um, get the coordinates and the loca- the exact location to the place, you have to like fill out a form first. So basically, we can kind of like suss you out a little bit. Right. And just see if you're if you're cool and everything. And then we'll reveal everything. To, we'll reveal everything to you, because at the end of the day, as of right now, it's still a private like uh, location. It's like a joint uh, 
like I said, communal man cave. Oh man, that's hilarious. You, I know you're in your early 30s, but me growing up, I grew up on Beverly Hills 90210 and there was an episode where they had to get to a party and to get to the party, they had to go to a convenience store and find a hidden egg. And th- <laughs> that sounds exactly like what you guys are doing, man. It's hilarious. Yeah, dude, that's, pretty, that's pretty much what it is. In fact, like I got the uh, like the whole uh, thing where we don't give out the address publicly. That's That's really old school too, man. Like not just in... 90210, but like the OG, like old school raves and uh, hip hop shows. Oh, yeah. They, they, you had to like, you know, call like a special hotline to get the address. Yeah. From, right. <laughs> I think even, uh, do you remember uh, the R&B artist George? Yes. I think he oh had, I think, I think he had a show like that here earlier in the year before the pandemic hit. A friend of mine that I work with, uh, huge George fan. She went to this show and it was a private intimate show, just him in the piano. And I think there were probably only a dozen, maybe 20 people at the show. And it was literally invite only. I think y- you had to know through him kind of thing. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. George is a cool dude. That was like, that was like, uh, before I, before June met me, that was like going to be her husband. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was going to be a lot of young girls' husbands. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Personally, I'm a fan of his brother, Justin, more than I am him, but that's just yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious, man. So it sounds like you've got a lot going on on your plate. Uh, obviously, the MMA and the live music scene is a bit of a bust at the moment. So it's pretty cool yeah. that you've been able to stick with this retro gaming thing. Um, I'm not going to take up too much more of your time tonight. I just want you to have the floor and just let people know where they can find you in the social media realm, where they can find out about the retro gaming community that you got going on and, and any of the events that you're pushing with that community, man, the floor is yours. Thank you so much. Um, you know, once again, thank you for having me on the show, man. Like, uh, it's cool to like, just be able to talk to you for a long time and candidly, cause we would always see each other at the shows for sure. We would never like you know talk like openly because like you know you're working i'm working i'm trying to save my voice so i can't really like you know talk too much but i'm i'm so glad we got the chat for sure and and typically i mean you're on the other side of the microphone you're introducing other people you're chatting with other people i i want to get to know you from a different standpoint so yeah it's totally cool man thank you so much um well um for social media i'm probably like the easiest person to find in the world all you need to look up is uh, Ryan Ventura, and you'll probably find me on uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, no problem. Um, you can look up uh, the VCRGC. Uh, you know, there's five letters, VCRGC. Look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, I've been slacky on the Twitter side, uh, but, you know, I, I probably should get on that. <laughs> and, um, and, and Game Quarters, man, look us up. Game Quarters 604. Uh, on Facebook and Instagram, you know, you can keep track of all the events. We actually have um, an upcoming uh, retro underground Mario Kart tournament. It's going to be next Friday. So there's more details on that. Go look it up on social media. We also are starting the first ever NHL 94 in-person league. Oh, man. Yeah. So the RUHL, the retro underground hockey league, Um, you know, look, look that up. It's going to be really exciting. We're going to be Twitch streaming all the games and like, bro, I might have a gig for you during the playoffs. Oh boy. If you you and James Lynch are down to commentate some NHL 94 during the playoffs, let me know. You heard it here. I'm down for sure. Now let's get a hold of James Lynch. (laughs) Because like when I think of uh, two guys that can talk 
and actually understand hockey. And on top of understanding hockey, they know retro gaming. Yeah. I only know two people. <laughs> <laughs> you so, heard it here first. We're not backing down on this one. <laughs> yeah, please don't. And I know James, if you're listening to this, like you're a very busy family man and you are too, Jeremy, but uh, please take like one, one day, bring the, bring the wife and kids too, man, to watch the <laughs> games. <It'd be> fun. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the retro underground leagues going to be really cool. And Jeremy, you're going to get a kick out of this. So we're off. We're going to have a trophy and prize for the MVP of the season. They're going to be winning the Russian rocket trophy. Oh, damn. Yeah. The Russian rocket trophy. So How we're, you we're, not love we're, it? Actually, actually, you should come to Game Quarters too. We have Pavelbury everything. I got a like, funny story about that. My mom actually found yeah. it. She found it. So funny enough, the story goes, when I was 10 years old, I had a birthday party. Um, no way. Yeah, well, obviously. 10 years old birthday party. So I rented Killarney Ice Rink. It wasn't an ice rink at the time because it was summertime. Well, not summertime, springtime. So March 31st. If you know that date... March 31st is also Pavel Bure's birthday, which is the yeah, same. And, you're t- and you were 10 that day. 10 that day. And my birthday is also March 31st. Go figure. Mind blown. Boom. And so I sent a letter to the Vancouver Canucks. My dad actually wrote the letter and uh, photocopied it, I guess, because she found the letter and sent it to me the other day. It was basically me pleading my case. Hey, Pavel, I'd, we share the same birthday. I know you've got things going on, but I'd love for you to come out to my birthday party. We're having a roller hockey party where we rented the rink. <laughs> it was so funny to read it. I'll have to send you a picture because my mom fired me a picture of the letter. It's so awesome. funny. But uh, Pavel Bure, obviously my favorite hockey player of all time. Yeah, mine too. Well, Ryan, I appreciate having you on, man. Hang out on the line here for a second while I give the outro. Uh, but thanks a lot for joining me today, man. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm glad, and I hope uh, whoever was listening, they, they had a good time listening to our conversation. How could they not, man? How could they not? <laughs> <laughs> that does it for another episode of The Wonder Brand Show. Uh, you can check me out on Twitter at JeremyBrand604, on Instagram at Jeremy underscore 604, and check out The Wonder Brand Show. Uh, just search up the name, The Wonder Brand Show. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, uh, wherever soundcloud all the podcast networks you can find the wonder brand show make sure you give us a nice rating five stars likes all that other jazz that does it for episode 25 i'm out